podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We've got three parts for you today. In part one, I'll review our latest Feminile match, which was a big one against San Marino Academy. In part two, we'll return to Serie A and check in on the battle for the Champions League qualification spots. And in part three, we'll preview our match on Saturday against Spezia. I'm not going to cover the Primavera today. There's simply too much content and not enough time. So I may do a bonus episode on the weekend to cover our latest matches as well as our upcoming match on Saturday. So let's start with the Feminile who played against San Marino on the weekend. This was by far our most important game of the season. Heading into this match, we were tied with San Marino on 9 points. We were in 10th and they were in 11th by virtue of our superior goal differential. 10th is safe while 11th and 12th will be relegated, which is why this match was so important. The first meeting with San Marino finished 0-0, so the winner of this match would own the tiebreaker. San Marino coach Alan Conte was making his second consecutive appearance on the touchline after serving a two-game suspension. Meanwhile, we continued to return to health despite still being without Vivian Bill, Sofia Kjensen, and Depi Chatsinikolaou. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. San Marino lined up in a 4-4-1-1 with Gloria Ciccioli in goal. Alessia Venturini and Melissa Nozzi played at centre-back. Aurora De Sanctis played at left back and Giulia Montalti played at right back. Viola Brambilla and Azura Corazzi started in the center of the midfield. Alison Rigalia played on the left wing and Karin Muya played on the right wing. Finally, Millie Chandrana played as the trecartista just behind Raffaella Barbieri. Alessandro Pistolesi went back to the 4-3-3 for this match. Once again, Sabrina Tasselli started in goal. I think it's safe to say that she's now our number one keeper. With the four-woman backline, Paola Di Marino dropped to the bench, Guomi Arnadotir and Alexandra Hune shifted into centre-back, and Mariah Cameron and Elisabetta Oliviero came in to play at left and right back respectively. Sara Huche started in the centre of the midfield with Emma Erico to her left and Eleonora Goldini to her right. Evi Popadinova dropped to the bench and Jenny Hillman and Federica Cafrata moved up to play on the wings. Finally, Isota Noki played as a false nine. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. The first few minutes of the match were pretty frantic with both sides conceding possession rather cheaply, but that changed instantly in the third minute, Noki won a corner kick on the right wing, she took the corner herself playing a deep outswinging cross, Huche got to the ball first and smashed a volley into the back of the goal to give us the early lead, that was her fifth goal of the season and her third in her last four matches. That settled us down and then we began to take over the match. Only a few minutes later, Goldini played a lovely through ball to Cafarata on the right wing. It seemed like she was clear on goal, but she took a wide route to the goal and was forced to play across, which was cleared out. Meanwhile, San Marino looked rather flustered. 
credit to Pistolesi for having us press high that was very effective in forcing San Marino to make mistakes and concede possession. They often resorted to the long ball to relieve the pressure, but Hyun and Arnadotir were ready and waiting. Napoli continued to push forward. In the 16th minute, Goldini took a gorgeous shot from 30 yards out that required an excellent save from Ciccioli, otherwise we would have doubled our lead. San Marino came very close to equalizing in the 20th minute, Barbieri crossed the ball into the area, Muya did well to get to the ball before Arnadotir, the ball fell for Shandarana in front of the goal but her shot hit the near post and stayed out. On the ensuing goal kick, Napoli tried to play out from the back and concede a possession in a dangerous area, Shandarana attempted a shot from distance but in the end, it was straight at Tasselli. Napoli came right back the other way with a few chances of her own. In the 23rd minute, Cafarata danced her way into the area before chipping to Noki. She played the ball back to Cafarata at the top of the box, but her shot took a slight deflection off Rambila and finished just over the bar. San Marino cleared the ensuing corner kick straight to Houchet at the edge of the area. She hit the target but didn't connect fully on the shot, and Ciccioli made the save. A few minutes later, Ciccioli made another save, this time on Cafarata's low shot towards the near post. But the build-up to this chance showed that we were really on in this match. Oliviero pressed to win the ball back before playing it back to Arnaudotir at midfield. She switched the play to Hillman on the left wing. Hillman went all the way back to Cameron at left back and Cameron played a gorgeous diagonal long ball to pick out Cafarata's run. The pass dropped right on Cafarata's foot. She took it down brilliantly to set up the shot. We thought we doubled the lead on a corner kick after Goldini redirected Houchet's shot into the back of the goal, but Goldini was offside so the score remained 1-0. Back the other way, San Marino nearly equalized from a corner of their own. Venturini had the ball on target with accuracy but not enough power and Tasselli made the save. That was the final chance for either side in the first half, which finished 1-0 for Napoli. Even though San Marino had those two or three chances, I thought we dominated the half. Pistolesi had his team well prepared both mentally and physically. We seemed the hungrier of the two sides. We were winning every ball in the midfield. Houchet absolutely bossed that midfield in the first half. And our big center backs, Arnadotir and Hyun, did a great job of shutting down Muya. They didn't give her much space and therefore she could not beat us with her speed. Napoli went immediately on the front foot to start the second half. Only 20 seconds into the half, Goldini went for goal but just missed the top corner. Only a minute later, Noki had another chance. She took the ball down really well in the Napoli half, then turned on the afterburners and simply outran Nozzi and Venturini. Noki tried to pass her shot into the bottom corner but just missed the far post. Nozzi was really struggling to keep up with our attackers in this match. Only moments later, Hillman blew past her along the byline, cutting the ball back to Noki at the top of the 6-yard box, but her shot was stopped by Ciccioli. All three of those chances came in the opening 2.5 minutes of the second half. Napoli continued to test Ciccioli with Oliviero's shot from distance, forcing a difficult save in the 58th minute. Again, the build-up to this chance showed that everything was clicking for us. Nozzi played a dangerous ball into the middle of the field that was intercepted by Goldoni. She squared for Eriko, who laid it off to Houchet on the right side of the midfield. Houchet spotted Noki, who dropped deep to show for the ball. She took one touch before passing back to Oliviero. With all these chances, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before we scored our second goal. That goal finally came in the 70th minute. Cafarata played a through ball to pick out Noki's run. She timed her run perfectly to get behind the San Marino back line before firing past Ciccioli and into the back of the goal. 
the wheels fell off for San Marino after that. In the 73rd minute, Cafarata took a throw in for Goldoni in the area. She turned and crossed the ball straight into the hand of substitute Maria Mussolino. Her hands was away from her body, so the penalty was given. Huche stepped up and sent Ciccioli the wrong way to put Napoli ahead 3-0. The game really opened up after that with San Marino desperate for a goal that left plenty of open space on the field. In the 79th minute, Noki won a 50-50 ball with Venturini at midfield. Venturini was the last woman back, so Noki was clear on goal. She tried to dribble around Ciccioli, but the keeper did really well to tackle Noki and keep the ball out. A few minutes later, we added a fourth. This was a beautiful team goal that started from the keeper. Tasselli played the ball to Arnaudotir. She played a long pass on the ground to Noki, who touched the ball back to Eriko. She switched the play to substitute Evi Popedinova, who played the ball out wide to Goldoni on the overlap. Goldoni crossed to Noki in the area, and she side-footed her volley past Ciccioli to complete the poker. Popedinova added a fifth just for good measure. Nozzi played a weak pass back to Ciccioli. Popedinova closed Ciccioli down and blocked her return pass for Nozzi with the ball ending up in the back of the goal. Nozzi nearly made up for that error in the first minute of stoppage time. She dribbled through the midfield and tried to chip Tasselli from just inside the Napoli half. Tasselli retreated and got there just in time to tip the ball over the bar and to protect her clean sheet. That was the final chance of this match for either side and this one finished 5-0 for Napoli. It goes without saying that this was a huge result for us. The win puts us 3 points clear of San Marino in the table. However, since we drew 0-0 in the first meeting, we own the tiebreaker which means this win was effectively worth 4 points. For the first time this season, we won a match in which Sadahushe scored a goal. President Lalo Carlito celebrated with the team after the match. He said he's always been convinced about the potential of this team, which has shown that they can remain in Serie A. He added that we now must not relax. Pistolesi also commented saying we approached the game well and closed on a high. The girls were focused for 90 minutes and we deserved all three points. As both of them suggested, there is still work to do. There are three games remaining in this season, and we definitely have a tougher run in than San Marino do. We have the mighty Juventus next, so you might as well chalk that one up as a loss. Juve are a perfect 19-0-0 on the season. They will definitely be playing for the win as a win or a draw would guarantee Juve win the Scudetto. Meanwhile, San Marino play Inter, who are 8th in the table. Hopefully, we get some help there. The following week, we play against 9th place Hellas Verona, which in my mind is a must-win game. San Marino play Bari that week. Bari have only one win and 18 losses on the season, so San Marino should win that game. Finally, we close the season against 4th place Roma, which is another tough matchup, while San Marino play 5th place Fiorentina, which is also tough. I think the relegation battle could potentially come down to the wire. If we can beat Hellas Verona, then we only need San Marino to lose one of their final three matches to guarantee our survival. Realistically, I don't see us picking up more than three points in our final three matches. That means we need San Marino to lose to either Inter or Fiorentina or both to stay in the top flight. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll return to the men's game and recap the matches at the top of the table. Hey.
Mamma non piange, è vero, mai. ma se non soffi non cade il velo Che ti fa vivere in bianco e nero Un uomo libero segue la sua strada Anche se è sbagliata, ci vediamo alla prossima cazzata Next, let's check in on the top of the table. Heading into this round, we were sitting in third place on 66 points, which was just two points behind Atalanta. Juve and Milan were also tied with us on 66 points in fourth and fifth. And Lazio were in 6th with 61 points with a game in hand. So let's start with Milan who beat Benevento 2-0 on Saturday. Hakan Chalanoglu and Teo Hernandez scored for Milan. Not surprisingly, Milan won with Zlatan Ibrahimovic back in the starting 11. It didn't take long for Milan to open the scoring. They were very patient in the build-up to the goal, completing 19 consecutive passes in the process. Francesi played a lovely dummy on Alexis Salamakers return pass for Hakan Chalanoglu at the top of the box, and he tucked his shot into the bottom corner to put Milan ahead only five minutes into the match. The early goal opened up the game with Benevento seeking the equalizer. They came close a few times. In the 11th minute, Marco Sao played a gorgeous long ball to Gianluca Lapadula, who touched his shot around Donnarumma but missed the goal. Then in the 15th minute, Artur Ionita tested Donnarumma from distance, but the keeper got across to make the save. With Benevento pushing forward, Milan had their chances as well. Just before that Yonita chance, Diogo Dallo had a free shot from the right side of the area, but Lorenzo Montipo made the save. Milan had another chance about 5 minutes later on the counterattack. This time Rafael Leao had the point blank chance, but again Montipo made the save. He was very busy in the first half. He made another fine save on Teo Hernandez late in the half. Then he made his best save in the dying seconds of the half, kicking out his right foot to deny Ibrahimovic's low shot. Montipo foiled Ibrahimovic again at the start of the second half, though I think Ibrahimovic may have been offside that time. Then in the 55th minute, Ibrahimovic played a quick 1-2 with Salamakers before making a lovely turn on Yonita, but again Montipo was quick off his line and again he made the save. Montipo made yet another big save on Ibrahimovic in the 66th minute. However, unlike the other saves, this time Montipo pushed the ball back into the danger area and Teo Hernandez was waiting there to tap the ball in to double Milan's lead. Benevento had a few chances in the final half hour. Lapadula had, had a header narrowly missed the far post, and Roberto Insigne had a curling effort narrowly missed the top corner. Benevento also made two claims for a penalty, but both were denied by Gianpaolo Calvarese. On the first, Gianluca Caprari went down in the area for a supposed foul by Davide Calabria. There may have been some contact there, but for me, not enough to warrant a penalty. Caprari does have a reputation for going to ground easily, so I wonder if that factored into the decision. 
The second was for a handball in the area by Ibrahimovic on a Caprari shot, but the replay showed that while the ball did strike Ibrahimovic on the hand, it was in a natural position, so again, I think Alvarez had made the right call. So Milan got a much-needed win to temporarily put themselves back into second place. Meanwhile, Benevento, who actually weren't that bad in this game, continue to drop points when they need them the most, and if they keep this up, they'll be heading back down to Serie B. Lazio opened the action on Sunday against Genoa. Lazio won 4-3 on goals from Joaquin Correa, Ciro Immobile, and Luis Alberto. Meanwhile, Gianluca Scamacca and Eldor Shmuradov scored for Genoa. Roberto Mancini was on hand to watch this match, surely to keep an eye on Ciro Immobile and perhaps even on Manuel Lazzari with the Euro squads now expanded to 26 players. Those two nearly combined to open the scoring only minutes into the match. Lazzari's shot was blocked, but the ball fell for Immobile. He fired on target, but Mattia Perin got across to make the save. Lazzari was looking sharp early on. Only a few minutes later, he played a gorgeous cross to pick out Sena Lulic's run to the back post, but the Bosnian couldn't keep his header on target. Shortly after that, Immobile had another open shot, just missed the bottom corner. Once again, that play started with Lazzari, whose cut back into the area was blocked by Ivan Radovanovic straight to Immobile. Immobile had another effort in the 15th minute, but his volley from the corner kick was stopped by Perin at the near post. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic was next to test Perin. He fired a powerful shot from distance on target, but again, Perin was up to the task. With so many chances, you felt it was only a matter of time before Lazio got their goal, and they did at the half-hour mark. Radovanovic cleared the ball straight into Korea and into the back of the goal. Radovanovic had a tough match having just returned from suspension. A few minutes before the break, he pulled down Ciro Immobile in the area after a lovely interplay between Korea, Alberto, and Immobile. Immobile blasted his shot into the back of the goal to put Lazio ahead by two. Genoa didn't get their first real chance of the match until the final minute of the half. Credit to Pepe Reina for staying sharp after having literally nothing to do in the first half. He made an excellent save on Kevin Strootman to protect his clean sheet. Genoa carried that momentum into the start of the second half. Milan Badel played a long ball to Paolo Guilione, who was free on the right wing. He cut the ball back into the area and Adam Marusic tried to block the pass, but instead he put the ball into his own goal. Lazio responded immediately. First, Immobile got free in front of the goal, but Perin made another save. Then only 30 seconds later, Luis Alberto scored Lazio's third of the day, picking the top corner. Once again, Correa and Immobile were involved in the build-up to that goal. With Genoa pushing forward, Lazio had plenty of space to counterattack, which we know is their specialty. In the 56th minute, Correa picked up the ball at the edge of the area, cut into his right foot, and fired low and hard. Perin got a hand on the ball, but not enough to keep it out. Both of those goals started with Milinkovic-Savic winning the ball around midfield. I thought he was quietly very good in this match. Perhaps Perin could have done better on that Correa goal, but he made a number of good saves in this match, including another one on Immobile in the 76th minute. Immobile and Correa have now combined for 10 goals and 4 assists in Lazio's last four matches. That is unbelievable production, especially when you consider that they were both in a funk prior to Lazio's game against Benevento. It seemed like Lazio were going to coast to victory, but only minutes after that save by Perin on Immobile, Danilo Cataldi was very late with his challenge on Bedell in the area, so Genoa were awarded a penalty. Bedell was very involved for Genoa in the second half. Gianluca Scamacca stepped up, and just like Immobile did in the first half, he smashed his shot straight down the middle to make it 4-2. 
He now has seven goals on the season, which is decent production for the U21 international. I think there will be plenty of big club interest for him, particularly from Juve, Milan, and Roma, maybe even Inter, who are all in need of a striker. I guess the question becomes who can afford to buy him because all of those clubs have financial issues. Less than a minute later, Genoa broke with acres of space in the midfield. Badel picked out Eldor Shmurdov's run on the left wing and the Uzbekistanian beat Pepe Reina at the near post. So all of a sudden, at 4-3, Genoa were right back into a match that was largely dominated by Lazio. We saw the exact same thing from Lazio in that game against Benevento, where they made their lives difficult for themselves by allowing the opponent back in. But just like that game, Lazio held on for the very important win. It may not have been pretty at the end, but in the end, all that matters is the three points. Later in the day, Juve beat Udinese 2-1 on a brace from Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, while Molina scored the lone goal for Udinese, if you didn't watch this match, you would probably have expected this result. But as it turns out, this was a surprise result. Federico Chiesa was still out injured, so Federico Bernardeschi started in his place, and he was absolutely dreadful. In fact, Juve were dreadful as a whole. Udinese opened the scoring in the 10th minute. Weston McKenney fouled Rodrigo De Paul in the Juve half. DePaul played a quick free kick and caught Juve sleeping. Molina fired a low hard shot on target that Wojtek Szczesny got a piece of and probably should have kept out but somehow the ball ended up in the back of the goal. Szczesny hasn't exactly been great for Juve in the second half of the season and I think that's partly why Juve are now heavily linked to Gijo Donnarumma. From that point onward Udinese's goal was to defend the lead which is not surprising if you know how Udinese play. Meanwhile, just like against Fiorentina in the previous round, in fact, like most games this season, Juve looked listless. They didn't play with any urgency, they created very few chances, and that was largely because they lacked creativity. They probably should have equalized around the half-hour mark when McKennie got a free header from a corner kick, but he missed the target. Other than a shot from Paolo Dybala on his off foot, Juve hardly tested Udinese keeper Simone Scuffet. Scuffet was making his first appearance in 925 days. Juve were trying to attack through the middle, but with so many Udinese players dropping into their own half, there was very little space to play there. Even though Udinese were protecting the lead, they had the better chances in the second half. Tolge Arslan had a shot early in the half after some excellent hold-up play by Stefano Okaka, but he missed the target. Then in the 66th minute, Jens Strieger Larsen had an attempt at goal, but his curling effort just missed the top corner. For a long while, it seemed like this match was going to finish 1-0, but Juve got the break they needed. Rodrigo De Paul stuck out his elbow to block Cristiano Ronaldo's free kick, so Juve were given a penalty. I don't know what De Paul was thinking there, the play couldn't have been more obvious. Now, it was hard to tell whether the ball would have ended up in the back of the goal had De Paul not intervened, so perhaps he prevented a goal by forcing the penalty. Now, the handball was obvious, but the foul by Strieger Larsen on Juan Cuadrado that led to the free kick before the handball was a little bit dubious. You could make the argument that Cuadrado actually fouled Strieger Larsen on the play. In fact, Udinese's sporting director, Pier Paolo Marino, made that very argument after the match. In any event, Ronaldo converted the penalty and Juve were all square. Then, in the 89th minute, Adrian Rabiot played a deep cross to Ronaldo at the back post. He headed down and somehow the ball got past Scuffet through his legs. The grass was slick with the rain, but Scuffet really should have done better there. He was only starting because Juan Musso was suspended for this match, and I think Musso would have done better there. The commentators on the broadcast seemed convinced that that goal saved Andrea Pirlo's job. I personally don't think Juve would fire him at this stage of the season. 
Even with a loss here, Juve would have very much been alive in the race for Champions League qualification. Juventini will gladly take the three points, but I imagine they were very disappointed with this performance. It was an uninspiring performance that may well have been Juve's worst game of the season, despite collecting the win. Finally, Sassuolo tied Atalanta 1-1. Robin Gosen scored for Atalanta and Domenico Berardi scored for Sassuolo. This was a really intriguing match between two informed clubs. Both are attack-minded teams that like to play out of the back, and as a result, both Giampiero Gasparini and Roberto De Zerbi had their squads press high. There was an abundance of talent and technical ability on display. The one-touch passing and the movement off the ball was really enjoyable to watch. Early on, it looked like this was going to be a really entertaining and competitive match. Both sides were getting into dangerous positions and creating chances, but neither were able to create anything clear-cut. Then about midway through the first half, things took an interesting turn. Giorgos Kirakopoulos played a gorgeous long ball over the top to Jeremy Boga on the left wing. Pierluigi Golini came off his line to play the ball, but Boga took it down beautifully, leaving Golini no choice but to foul the speedy winger. Because Golini was the last man back and because he took away a goal-scoring opportunity, he was shown a straight red card. Match official Luca Pairetto did visit the monitor to take a second look before confirming the decision, which I think he got right. You can see that Golini clearly stuck his arm out to block Boga. Even though I think Pairetto got the call right, I also think this match became a bit of the Luca Pairetto show after that. Most teams that go down a man struggle to attack, but this is Atalanta we're talking about. They continue to push forward and actually open the scoring just after the half hour mark. But at Jim City played the ball to Ruslan Malinovsky at the top of the box. And with one touch, he played Robin Gozins through. Gozins got behind Mert Muldur and flashed his left-footed shot past Andrea Consili to become the first defensive player to score double-digit goals in a season since Marco Matrazzi. Malinowski continues his unbelievable run of form. He now has four goals and seven assists in his last seven matches. Sassuolo nearly equalized just before the break. Remo Freuler made an uncharacteristic error in front of his own box, conceding possession to Manuel Locatelli. He spun and played Berardi through, but the Italian international just missed the far corner with his left-footed strike. Atalanta thought they doubled their lead a few minutes later after Duvan Zapata headed in the rebound from Malinowski's free kick, but VAR showed that Hans Hattabor was offside on the play, so the first half ended with 10-man Atalanta up 1-0. However, with all the action in the first half, you sensed that there were more goals to come, and it didn't take long for that goal to come. Only five minutes into the half, Amitraora went down in the area, for a supposed shove by Rafael Toloi. I thought this was a really soft decision. I think Pairetto got the red card decision right in the first half, but I think he got this one wrong, and I can understand why Atalantini were frustrated with the decision. Berardi converted the penalty to level the score. That was his 15th goal of the season. The match went back and forth after that. In the 58th minute, Hattabor came close to putting Atalanta back up, but Consili made a big save. Then back the other way, Locatelli scored in the 64th minute, but that goal was ruled out for offside. Ten minutes later, Pairetto leveled the playing field in more ways than one. He awarded a penalty to Atalanta for a foul by Marlon on Luis Muriel. This was another questionable decision. I don't think there was a whole lot there, but it did seem that Marlon was playing the man more than he was playing the ball. Marlon received a yellow for the foul, which was his second of the match, so he was sent off, leaving both sides with 10 men. It also evened the score in terms of penalties awarded to each side. Muriel took the penalty himself. He's normally very reliable from the spot, but this effort was quite poor. Marco Sportello, who came on when Golini was sent off, left his foot out and made the save. Muriel might have scored on the rebound, but he slipped, and Sassuolo were able to clear the ball out. 
that would be the final big chance of the match so this one finished in a 1-1 draw in fact all four matches to that point on Sunday finished in draws with Atalanta dropping points Inter were officially crowned champions ending Juve's reign of dominance Inter also ended their decade-long trophy drought their last trophy was in the Coppa Italia in the 2010-11 campaign this turned out to be a great weekend for Milan, Juve, and Lazio with Atalanta and Napoli dropping points. As a result, the top of the table shuffled again. Atalanta remained in second place, now on 69 points. However, Juve and Milan are both on 69 points as well. Napoli dropped back down to fifth outside of the Champions League zone with Lazio three points behind us. However, if we assume that Lazio win their game in hand, they would be tied with us on 67 points. Now, we do still control our destiny. Juve play Milan this weekend, and then Atalanta play Milan in the final round, so at least one of those teams will drop points. Only one team would drop points if Milan lost both games. If Milan don't lose both games, then one or possibly both of the other two would drop points as well. That means if we win our final four matches of the season, we guarantee ourselves a top four spot. We could finish tied with Lazio on points if they win all of their matches, but we own the tiebreaker over them, so that doesn't matter. As we talked about in our latest episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide with Azzurri fan Phil, these matches are not as easy as you might think, and we recorded that episode before the news broke that Koulibaly had strained his calf and Nikola Maksimovic tested positive for COVID, so they'll both miss a minimum of two matches. It's quite possible they're both done for the season. We'll just have to wait and see. I think Maksimovic's injury is less of a concern because he hasn't really been playing lately, but that means we're down to only two center backs with a midweek fixture, which makes me very nervous. For Koulibaly, the normal recovery time for a first-degree strain is two to three weeks, so depending on the severity of the injury, we may just get him back for the final one or two games. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview our match on Saturday against Spezia. E prova a non pensare, ma tu stai sempre qua. Non ci ora si è portata stupenda, e a me non resta niente. E poi ci cerchiamo per sempre, e ci perdiamo rinda niente. Gira come il denuncio Nasce mai sta curiata I che geni maniarete Nasce mai sta curiata Come mani e sarete We'll close the pod with a preview of our match on Saturday against Spezia. Spezia are coming off a 1-1 draw to Hellas Verona. With that draw, Spezia are winless in their last four with two wins and two draws. Ironically, the draws were against the stronger sides in Inter and Verona, while the losses were to weaker clubs in Bologna and Genoa. That just about sums up Spezia's season. They're very unpredictable. They beat Milan and Sassuolo. They've also drawn Atalanta. 
but then they've lost to Crotone, Genoa, Udinese, and Fiorentina. That draw on the weekend put them on 34 points, which is good enough for 16th place. That's three points clear of Benevento, who are in the final relegation place. With four matches to play, Spezia are definitely not safe yet, so this is not going to be an easy match. This is also an important match for us in our quest for Champions League qualification. There will also be some added motivation from the first meeting. Spezia won that match 2-1. We had the lead, Spezia equalized, and Ismaili picked up a second yellow, so Spezia went down a man. And finally, Spezia scored the late winner despite being down a man. That was one of only two matches this season where we scored first and lost, the other was against Hellas Verona. Now, we didn't have a few key players for that match, Kaladu Koulibaly was out with a muscle injury. Our record when Koulibaly is not in the squad is rather abysmal, we have 3 wins, 2 draws and 2 losses this season. Victor Osman and Dries Mertens were out for that match as well, so we started Chucky Lozano as striker. Nevertheless, if we don't qualify for the Champions League, that is definitely one of the matches that we will look back on and say that may have been the difference, along with a few others, of course, the loss to Sassuolo and the draws to Torino, Sassuolo and Cagliari would be on that list as well. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Vincenzo Italiano made six changes to his squad for the game against Hellas Verona, so that makes it rather difficult to predict their squad. One thing that's for certain is that Italiano will line up in a 4-3-3 with Ivan Provedel in goal. Italiano rotates fairly evenly between four center backs. Martin Ehrlich, Julian Chabot, Adrian Ismaili, and Claudio Terzi have all played at least 1,400 minutes of this season. I'll go with Ehrlich and Terzi to start. Like at center back, Italiano rotates quite a bit at fullback as well. Claudio Marchizza and Simone Bastoni share duties at left back, and Luca Vignali and Salva Ferrer share duties at right back. Marchizza took a knock in the Verona match. Now, he did complete the match, but I'll still take Bastoni to start here with Vignali at right back. Matteo Ricci is the usual starter in the Regista. Giulio Maggiore is a regular starter in front of Ricci along with one of Tommaso Pobega, Leo Senna, and Nahuel Estevez. I'll take Pobega to start. Mbala Nzola is suspended for this match, so I think we'll see 20-year-old Roberto Piccoli start at striker. Normally you would think that's good for us, but Nzola has been struggling lately. He hasn't scored a single goal since returning from his ankle injury. That's nine consecutive matches without a goal. With Diego Farias hurt, Emmanuel Giassi will likely start on the left wing, and I think we'll see Daniele Verde on the right wing. For Napoli, we've been playing exclusively in the 4-2-3-1 for quite some time now, so there's no reason to expect a change there. David Ospina did return to group training on Thursday, but I suspect Alex Moret will still get one more starting goal, and then we might see Ospina play midweek against Udinese. As I mentioned in Part 2, Kaladu Kalibali is out injured and Nikola Maksimovic has COVID, so Amir Rachmani and Kostas Manolas will play at centre-back. LCT Sai has played three straight matches at left back, so I expect him to get another start here. And of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. Diego Deme and Fabian Ruiz will start in the double pivot. Likewise, Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing. The right wing is the most difficult for me to predict. I'll go with Matteo Politano here since Chucky Lozano didn't have a great game against Cagliari. I think we'll see Piotr Zielinski play in the 10 spot once again. Finally, despite that head-to-head collision in the Cagliari game, I think we'll still see Victor Osman start up top. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. 
the first key to the match is we need to take our chances. This was an issue the first time we played against Spezia. We took 27 shots in that match, 11 on target, and we had 11 scoring chances, but we only scored once. That's been an issue in our last two matches as well. We beat Torino 2-0, but we easily could have scored 5 or 6 goals in that one. We had 25 shot attempts, 10 on target, and 12 scoring chances in that match. And against Cagliari, we had 18 shot attempts, only 6 were on target, but 6 of them were scoring chances. Spezia do concede chances as well on the weekend. Hellas Verona had only 7 shot attempts, but they had 6 scoring chances. They also had 2 goals disallowed for an offside in the first half, and they hit the upright in the first half as well. Inter had 15 shot attempts and 9 scoring chances a couple of matches prior to that. Spezia do concede chances as well on the weekend. Hellas Verona had only 7 shot attempts, but they had 6 scoring chances. They also had two goals disallowed for offside in the first half, and they hit the upright in the first half as well. In the match prior to that, Genoa had a goal disallowed, and Inter had 15 shot attempts and 9 scoring chances a couple of matches prior to that. One thing I've noticed about Provedel, at least in Spets' recent matches, is that he gives up a lot of rebounds, so I think if we take lots of shots and we put the ball on target, we'll get our share of goals. My second key to the match is we need to defend as a unit. As I said, Koulibaly is out injured, so Manolas and Rachmani will start together. They've only played together for 49 minutes this season, and 45 of those 49 minutes was a dreadful half for Rachmani against Udinese. So once again, we'll have two center backs playing that don't have a lot of chemistry together. Koulibaly is so important because his athleticism allows him to cover for his teammates. That, of course, won't be available, and Rachmani is not quite as mobile, which means we'll need our left back, whether it's Hisai or Mario Rui, to hold their own and not get caught out. We'll need our entire back line to keep their shape because Manolas and Rachmani cannot cover and effectively play multiple positions like Koulibaly can. We'll need Diego Demme to support his center backs and provide that extra coverage in the middle of the field. Now, I will say that Rachmani's form has improved dramatically with increased playing time, so I'm not terribly concerned with this pairing. We know Rachmani is a very good player. I'm actually more concerned about Manolas, and not so much for this game, but for the ones to come. These absences at center back come right before a stretch of three games in eight days. Manolas typically doesn't play every three days, so that makes me a little bit nervous. We definitely cannot afford to lose another center back. I imagine Davide Costanzo will get the call up from the Primavera to sit on the bench, but even if one of Manolas or Rachmani gets hurt, I don't expect Costanzo to play. I think what we would see is Di Lorenzo play center back, Mario Rui play left back, and Hisai play right back. The third key to the match is we should defend in a mid-block. As I alluded to in the second key, we have to be organized not just at the back but all over the field. A lot has been made about Vincenzo Italiano's dissertation and how he wants to have 10 playmakers on the field. That means we have to be careful not to get caught out of position because these players do have the quality to take advantage of that to create chances. Spezia are similar to Sassuolo in the sense that they like to play out of the back and they like to maintain possession, but they're not quite as aggressive in the attack. They're a bit more patient in the buildup. Now, whenever a team plays out of the back, I'm tempted to say that we should press high. However, given that these players are all good on the ball, if we press high, they can pass their way out of that and we can get caught. So instead, I'd rather us play in the mid block. We can send one player to press the ball just to force the play a little bit without compromising our shape. And this way, Spezia will have a difficult time playing through the midfield. 
The head official for this match is Massimiliano Irati. He's officiated 11 Napoli matches dating back to 2013. We have a record of 8 wins, 1 draw, and 2 losses in those matches, including a 5-0 win over Torino and a 6-0 win over Benevento, both in 2017. His assistants are Filippo Melli and Stefano Alassio. The fourth official is Valerio Marini, and Luca Banti is on the bar, assisted by Mauro Vivenzi. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-0 Napoli win. I'll give Victor Osman a brace to make up for that disallowed goal against Cagliari, and I'll give Lorenzo Insigne the other, perhaps from the penalty spot. I think this is going to be much more like our match against Spezia in the Coppa Italia than against them in the first meeting in Serie A. In that game, we scored four goals in the first half, and we actually had a pretty bad second half, so hopefully we can be better defensively this time around. I think that will be helped by the fact that Spezia have really struggled to score goals lately. They've only scored more than one goal in two of their last nine matches, and one of those two was against a Crotone team who conceded a ton of goals. Like Nzola, Giassi hasn't scored in his last nine matches. I think Daniele Verde will be Spezia's most dangerous goal-scoring threat. He too hasn't scored in Spezia's last few matches. I think of him as a bit of a poor man's Lorenzo Insigne. Aside from his size and the fact that he's Napolitan, he likes to cut in on his favorite foot, which in Verde's case is his left, and curl his shot towards the back post. He also has the ability to score some acrobatic goals, like the bicycle kick he scored against Lazio, which for me was the goal of the season. That said, I don't think he will cause us any problems. I'll close with a couple of quirky stats. Spezia have not had the same outcome of a match, win, draw, or loss, twice in a row in their last 13 matches, and during that stretch, they've lost exactly every other match. That pattern would suggest that Spezia are going to lose this one. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoyed the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. Thank you, Stefano, for sending along some song suggestions. You can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. We'll be back in a few days to get caught up on the Primavera, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, so stay tuned for that. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre!
Social Podcast Network.